When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to this special edition of Tackling Life with Ray Lewis and me, Dr. Christian Conti. This is the conclusion of Ray's and my transformative experience running a group of inmates serving life sentences at Pennsylvania's Greaterford Maximum Security Prison with Secretary John Wetzel, who is the head of the Pennsylvania prison system. In this next segment, Ray opens up about his youth, the obstacles he had to overcome, and how he avoided a path toward prison. Plus, he talks about his current challenges with his own children. We'll also hear from an inmate whose son was killed, having been shot eight times in the head, and his remarkable and inspiring reaction. Now, here's Secretary Wetzel and Ray. Ray, I heard you talk a bunch of times about tr trying to protect children. Yeah. So you talked about rules around cell phones, and those kinds of things to control. And, and you know, what really resonated with me is when they start keeping secrets. Yeah. So, so right, I mean, talk about like a, the message to parents, because we're hearing some consistent stuff here. Yeah, yeah. and you, you know what's interesting? That every one of you guys' story, it, it comes back to the, I'm going to share a little bit of my story. The lack of father, right? The single parent mother. And we are all old enough to where you was getting your behind slapped in the mouth if things weren't right. If you said the wrong things, if you spoke when grown folks were speaking, that's a whole nother conversation, right, by the time you got home. And so I took a more of an old school approach because of what I learned as a child. Now, the only difference, honestly, when I saw at 31, at 31 years old, I'm 41, I met my father at 33 years old. But I heard something when I was younger. And they used to always tell me, you're going to be just like your dad. You're going to be just like your dad. And I'm trying to say to myself, I don't know my dad. So I don't know what I may be finding myself to be like. But what I started to realize was, the, and this is the honest guy having truth. In 1991, crack cocaine stormed my city. Stormed it. It took the best athletes I've ever seen in my life and they traded in college to sell crack. The only thing, the only thing that kept me from not going that route is I had to come home every day and see my mother beating every day. That's the only thing that didn't make me go that route. We, the only way I can keep it real with you guys because I was coming home and I'm watching my mother's eyes bleeding, man, about men just beating her every time I went to school. And I got home one day and I was like, and this one dude, I'll never forget it. He's the, he's the father of my baby sister's older child. Me and him got the same birthday, May 15th. He walked up to me and had five pieces of crack cocaine in his hand on the football field my senior year. He said, bro, this is the way. This is the way. I said, I don't have that choice, though. Nigga, I'm going home to four kids, that, and we can't feed each other right now. So when you talk about the lack of the right hero, right, I took observation, and I observed my mother. It, wasn't never, it was never what my mother said to me. It was what I observed. My mother. My mother kept a Bible close to her. My mother stayed on praying knees. And the, only, and the only thing I kept saying to myself, the one mistake I cannot make is I can't disappoint my mother. If nothing, because she's been through so much disappointment already. 2020, 20, 20, 24. Man, I had six kids by 24. Six kids. And an uncle of mine walked up to me and said, you just like your daddy. I said, I don't know my dad. So how am I just like him? He said, your daddy got 10 kids. 
10. Wow. 24 years old. I gave up brown liquor. I gave up strip clubs. I gave up cursing. I took earrings out of my ears. And I said, I don't want to be that. I thank my father to this day for not being in my life. Because I don't know the man that I would have been. So what I did to my kids was, my kids now, I'm old school. I'm still slapping them in the mouth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we ain't getting away from theory. No, in no, ain't no theory. <laughs> no, this real. Like, I'm telling you to pull your pants down. I need to feel your bad skin. You come in my house at 9 o'clock every night, I need cell phones on my dresser. Ain't nobody you got to talk to or text after 9, 30, 10 o'clock unless they paying your bills. And I'm paying every one of their bills, so I know nobody else ain't paying them. But, but, but everything that you guys are saying is the foundation of what every one of you mentioned. That moment of being driven by the wrong people, the lack of leadership, and the one pain that said, I trade this in just to get to the next. I want, I want to jump in and mention Please. something about how um, you discipline your children. Yeah. Man, I, my personal belief is that's one of, the wrong, one of the biggest things that I think that went wrong mm -hmm. for the last couple of generations. The, the government started to step in about parents disciplining their children. Yeah. Now, I understand this is a big difference from discipline and, and, and child abuse, abuse. Yep. and things like that. And I think that some things, some things deserve that, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Some things. Mm -hmm. And the reason why is that we could be told, you know, as children, we could be told a lot of, uh, not to do something numerous times. And when there's no, when we see there's no consequences, you know, when we see there's no consequences <laughs> about what you know what 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 happened yep. it will continue you, you, you keep that, doing it. right and but you, you know doing. and i do like to jump in because I, I one of the things i teach from for me personally is i've never hit or yelled at my daughter but she listens on a dime and that's because consistency like if i say it's going to be done it's going to be done that instant if i say put your phone down she says but can i just boom you just lost your phone for a day or two you'll get that back it could be with love but I want to say, highlight something you said that really echoed through me. I mean, this is a message I believe will amplify throughout so many people. And that is when the secrets start. So I think on two levels. One, I think so, when as a parent or adult in young people's lives, don't make themselves a safe place for people to talk to. Because that's something you made for yourself for that young man and that you guys have done for those young men to come in there. Make yourself a safe place. Something Ray does with his children, make himself a safe place. And then the other pieces, and I really believe young people can hear it, especially the way you phrase it, is for them to know, not to be, to be mindful to shine light when they begin to keep a secret and realize what the long-term consequence of where the secret spirals to. So that, I just had to, when you said that, it kind of echoed through me, and I really want to appreciate it. My oldest that. son, my oldest son, man, as a father, the hardest thing you can do is try to lead a life that hopefully kids will follow. And my oldest son, for whatever reason, has made up his mind to go the opposite route. This is, and I got six kids, so everybody else is, they focus, they own what they're doing. My oldest son get kicked out of the University of Miami. We lose a $250,000 scholarship. I found out that he's been abusing cocaine for a year, two years. I go get him and bring him out, put him in another school that now I got to pay for. He kicked out of that school. My oldest son right now is facing 10 years. And I'm fighting with everything I got to keep him up. But we're going all the way back to what we're talking about, right? Because the only battle I was fighting was telling his mother, He's not who you think he is because of the secrets. Mm. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Mm. 
When them boys start, when the young lions start keeping secrets, man, it's a whole nother world they dealing with. And I'm telling her this, right? And so I walk in the house and I'm, I'm watching this kid do this, right? And I'm a physical touch person. And so I said, I said, stand up. I said, if you're a man, stand up. So he kept standing up. And every time he stand up, I hit him with a two piece. Every time he stood up again, I hit him with another two piece. Until he understood, you keep your behind sitting down. You ain't no man yet unless you can take care of yourself. See, but he kept jumping up thinking I was saying, if you're a man, stand up. And so everything you're saying, bro, like everything we're saying, and that's why I keep telling, I'm screaming to parents. That's why I'm so glad you guys are saying this. I'm screaming to parents, stop being your kids' friends and find out what they're doing. Make sure every child is telling you they passcode on their cell phones. If they got that much to hide, then I promise you they live in a secret life. Yeah. Right? Yeah, go ahead, brother, please. Couple things. Yeah. It's not only when boys start keeping secrets, when girls start keeping Lord Jesus, I got two of them, don't no, boy. <laughs> I got four right now. My head. <laughs> my half, my half, my half, them is gone. I know, because how many parents have <coughs> got the news dropped on them? Mom, Dad, I'm pregnant. I'm pregnant. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, bro. You know what I'm saying? So, so we can get that straight. Mm -hmm. Small children, and it's not just about communicating with children because they keep secrets. We need to do that. Yeah. Because children are being like how Doctor Gabor Mate say uh, they're being called away from their parents by a siren song that their mm -hmm. parents cannot hear. Right. Siren. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Odysseus. Yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and your parents can't hear. Yeah. You know, and so children live a life on fire. The, no, the neurophysiological changes they're going through, mm -hmm. not just with the frontal lobe not developing, yet the synapses disconnecting and their brains is washing all kinds of chemicals. And yep. it's a life on fire. And so the things that they do at that time are natural things, like me running away. Mm -hmm. Children do it all the time. What I've learned is that. You know, it's a way of, you know, it's, it's a craving to chart your own course and find your own way. Mm -hmm. Risk taking is developing the courage to go up against challenges in the world. But it goes wrong when the parent don't hold the child's hand. Mm. You got to, an elder has to hold the child's hand and yeah. talk to the child and walk them and coach them across as they make the transition from childhood to adulthood. Yeah. You understand what I'm saying? And so. You know, you, you have to do that or else tragedies, it's going to happen. And as I listen, as I listen to, from when, when I first started talking, and you talked about the recreation center, you know, the same thing happened to me with the Harlem Youth Federation in Harlem, New York that I used to go to, mm -hmm. where Dougie Fresh used to go to. I, yeah. I met him and pe we met people that loved us. Then they defunded it and we ended up on the streets. As we went around the circle, everybody had a common story. And so it made me think about what Dr. Carl Bell say, if a child comes into your clinic for a rat bite, it will make you a good doctor if you clean the wound, give the child a tetanus so shot, and send the child on his way and make you a good doctor. Maybe if two or three children came in for a rat bite, you'd still be a good doctor if you did those things. But if a hundred children came into your clinic for a rat bite, and that's all you did, and you didn't go out and find and eliminate the rat, then you should have your license. You know what I'm saying? And so there's, 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 there's a rat yep. that's, that's, that's bitten all this and it's bitten, it's biting all the youngsters. Yep. As you know, we have to find, we have to find, and that rat is, you know, absentee fathers. Yep. That rat is, is poverty, mm -hmm. it's lack of self love, yep. it's low self esteem, it's socially toxic environments. And it's all right for us to say things to the youngsters. Yeah. You know, we can speak to them and try to instill good things in them. But as soon as they open up that front door, they walk out into a, a, a toxic world that the adults have created. Yeah. That the adults have created. So we have to start speaking to the adults. You know what I'm saying, too? And so I wrote to my younger self. There's a letter that you could read online that I wrote to my younger self when I was 15 years old. Right before I ran away, as I, over the last 30 years, I was trying to figure out what it was that made me do it. And I wrote to my younger self. And I had to tell myself, man, 
You okay, man? You are all right. Right. You don't have nothing to prove. Because mm-hmm. I found out that's what I was doing. Mm. I was insecure. You know, I was overcompensating for poor showings that I had at times that I felt called for my courage. Dealing with bullying. Dealing with when I got robbed at what I thought was gunpoint. Mm-hmm. When I so when I first saw a dead body, and you know, in in in, in the inner cities, by the time a child is thirteen, fourteen, and I've seen several dead bodies, yeah. you know, hmm. and the feelings that I got from all these experiences, you know, keeping secrets, going back in the privacy of my room, laying in my bed, not being able to have nobody to talk to and process this stuff with and help. And have anybody to guide me through it and make sense of it. I'm left to my own, you know, devices. And nobody knew the inner demons that were being born. In right. How slide. Listen, right listen, listen. Um, you set me up for <laughs> But I was, um, many of us laid around for this out control behavior with our children. That's just the reality. Yeah. The drugs came in our community. Many of us came vulnerable to. I feel responsible for a lot of three generations of men being just sucked out of our community into these prison systems. I come out on the block and I look and I see so many young men, young men that don't have no guidance, no guidance at all. No one that ever showed up, and this comes from our own assessment of them being coming in our program when we are uh, um, giving them, teaching them about being parents, how to be a father. And when they come in, they come in with the bravado, the image, tough image. And when you take that ball down and they start crying about my father wasn't there, I never had nobody to love me, I never had no one to show me the direction of what a man looked like. This is why we have so much chaos. Because they don't have, they don't have no one to really just hug us. You know, and when we give them that love, they, they open up and they, they, they tell us, man, teach me how to be a father of my child. Help me save my child. They, they real good people. They just didn't have, never had nobody just to, to show them. You know, I mean, the God. And this is why we have a, the whole jail filled up with young black men. Because their fathers is missing. No guidance. Older guys. We did a call out in 2006 here. Seven. Seven. 2007. But we spoke to over 3,000 young men in the city of Philadelphia. It was a simulcast. They seen us, we seen them at community college. It was 406 homicides in the city of Philadelphia at that time. Hmm. The next year started off, it was three homicides a day. We did the call out on Martin Luther King's birthday. It was, at that time, it was 26 homicides. In 15 days, after we spoke to them young brothers in, in, at that college, it was my homicide in the city of Philadelphia for 15, for 15 days straight. And it's documented. It shows that we can reverse mm-hmm. that, that, that perpetuate cycle that we help create. Mm-hmm. But it just takes men to just step up and say, man, it's over. You can't straddle the fence. Yep. Right. You know what I mean? I don't believe in straddling the fence. Right. It's either you here mm-hmm. or you here. There's no in between. It's either you want to help change the conditions that you helped here now, mm-hmm. or you just stay over there. All these guys in here, and I can say this, they real. Because I wouldn't be sitting with them. Yeah. Their hearts is real. They know what they did, we know what we did. But we want to go back and try to help save our community, mm-hmm. help save our children. 2007, after that call out, two months later, my son was murdered. Sitting in the car, just, just riding with a friend. Fell asleep, got shot eight times in the heat. Had a lot of young boys coming to me. Uh, I know who did that. Uh, let me have, no, no. I'm not going, I'm not going to allow you to mess your life up. That's my son. But I'm not going to allow you or anybody else that said, let me have that. No, we're doing that. That's God testing me to see if I'm really transformed. If I'm really who I am. I have young boys cry to me. Let me take care of that. But when they seen that I was sincere and they looked at me, they're like, who is this guy? Not who I was, 
because they looking at me through those lens of who I was when I came in prison. But when I said no, they like, you don't lost your mind. <laughs> yeah, but you know, we're doing in that. I have to send a message that, yeah, I stand on this. You know, yeah, I lost my son, God tested me with that. But that's the test that I have to, you know, continue to take on the challenges to help change other young men so we can start to turn, you know, the top. But it's just, it's sad, it hurts. It hurts, man. I come in the yard, man, I see so many young black men, man, it just hurts. Hmm. It hurts. Next, from Graterford Maximum Security Prison, we'll hear from the inmates their thoughts on prevention, intervention, and on why they believe education is liberation. Plus, they talk about the role crack cocaine has in our incarceration epidemic right after this. I have about 10 bullet points here, which I'm not going to read, but the main thing is what we're talking about is, is mentoring. And there's one um, story that really changed the lens of how I looked at things. It really was an educational and eye-opening experience to me. I've been here over, thir uh, over 30 years, and I've been trying to give back ever since I came here. Because of the harm I caused when I was in the street. And uh, the mural, Philadelphia Mural Arts Program has a program here where we paint murals. And we have different stakeholders involved. And we started getting um, involved with the people that were adjudicated youth at St. Gabriel's. Um, where the kids that got in trouble were forced to live. So they would come up here, they would be our stakeholders. We plotted out murals and uh, we would talk to them and paint and then get them to open up. So we were kind of mentors. And unfortunately, the uh, minimalism in the DOC, because whatever, they, they closed it down, but it, it was very valuable. So we would go around and try to brainstorm of what, uh, what, of what we thought that they needed. And then one of the gentlemen in the group, Swap was there, he goes, uh, what do you need? What do you need? Asking each of the youth. And uh, this was after some trust was established. And one of the, uh, one of the young uh, black gentlemen, uh, really articulate, well-spoken, well-read, probably about 16 or 17 years old. Um, he could easily be, you know, you could see him being a, a leader for a Fortune 500 company. Uh, and he told how his, his dad died of either violence, you know, he wasn't, he was a regular blue collar worker and the father passed away and the mom's a registered nurse trying to pay the bills and keep the family together, but she was so distraught of the, of the father passing that she started to turn to alcohol and she started not to pay the bills. And this young gentleman felt so guilty that he was, you know, causing mom more expense that he started to sell drugs. And he got quotes on the drugs, and he would give all the profits to his mom to pay the bills so they keep the house, the phone, and electricity on. So when we ask him what he needs, he says, well, I need a father and a mother. So immediately, our hearts were just, we were crushed. I mean, just everybody there was so teared up. And my lesson from that was that each person in that circle had their own needs. They're all individuals. And, and, and to reach them is to allow them the voice to get them in, in a safe environment where they will open up and say, because each person will, as we know here, will tell them themselves eventually, if you allow them the freedom and the safe space to talk, to find out what they need, what's missing from, what they feel is missing from their life. Because in their life, it's real. Whether it's not, whether we deem it real or not isn't important. It's what, it's what the youth feel that they need. And I know it's complex and frustrating, but, it, but it's still to hear each child you know, to get them in a safe environment, to feel what they need, what's lacking, and try to, and try to fill that hole. And uh, that, that was just such an eye-opening experience. I wanted to share that. Come on. So, I, you know, I, my father was in my life. You know, uh, my father was one of the smartest women I've ever met. 48 years up in the line. And when that wasn't enough, I had a stepfather that was awesome who loved and cared for me and he tried to uh, you know, keep me on the, on the right path. But all the love and, and caring that these two men had for me wasn't enough to save me. Hmm. Because when I, when I looked at my father, when I looked at my stepfather, it was gone. Like, we was hard. The house is messed up. Barely, you never had no money. And it's not that they were. But they were poor, you know, my, my father was a drug counselor, my, my stepfather was a high school teacher. 
you know, but they had other responsibilities besides me. So they couldn't do everything that I needed them to do, or at least all the things that I wanted them to do for me. So I'm going to go back to what, 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 what Ghani said something earlier when he was talking about education. And so think about how, how education is, is uh, proposed to young boys, young girls. Young education is put, I mean, education is put to us like this. You get education, and you can get this, and you can get that, you can buy this, you can buy that. It's all about these material things that you can possess. Education is never put to us in a way where it's described as being liberated. Hmm. You know, education is never uh, explained to us in a way where where it's told where if you get an education, you can begin to understand your place in the world hmm. and the part that you play in it. Like, education isn't put to us that way. And then on top of that, it's boring. And so this is why we're not interested. And like Gandhi said, there's a, there's a shortcut to get all these other material things. So why go through all that? So the way we describe education has to change. The way we, hmm. the way we explain it to our children has yep. to change. Get them interested. Mm -hmm. If not, we're still going to be running up this hill. Right, yeah. Go ahead. Either one? Yeah, either so, one. Okay. We have to change the, we, we need to, we need to take the initiative now, moving forward. Mm -hmm. It's a state of emergency. Right. It's a problem. That's what it is. To confront the conceptual systems that have been governing the way we've been dealing with these issues. We have to reconceptualize things because our concepts, the way we conceptualize, it governs the way we perceive the issues, the way we perceive ourselves, the way we perceive each other, the way we treat each other. So education, maybe we need to reconceptualize hmm. moving forward what education is. And it has happened because education in Greek or Roman times meant something entirely different. Right. It was only for a few philosophers and the politicians and 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 they rationed out knowledge to the masses. Then it meant something different in feudal Europe. Then it meant something different in the, the, the Reformation era of the 16th century. Then in the industrial era, it meant something. Now it's you get educated so you can get a good job. Hmm. So we have to deepen the concept of education now for children. And with that comes a deepening of the American dream. Because if the American dream is just material things, Children to rationalize the whole material thing. If it's a, if it's quicker to, yeah, right. Yeah. So one thing we have to, what I told myself in my letter to myself is about cutting corners, and I gave another definition of education and another definition of the dream. That imagine if the American dream had this component to it, that it's also about you becoming an upstanding member of your community and you helping to uplift your community and you not seeing a separation between yourself and your neighbor. Imagine if that was a component. So now if crack cocaine had came on the set mm -hmm. and made a proposition for a shortcut, I would have ran down the list of hope. This doesn't help mm -hmm. me understand mm -hmm. my community. Mm -hmm. This doesn't help me. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Selling drugs to, to someone else or capitalizing off of someone's weaknesses. Nah, that's not cool. Checklist. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Check, check it off. That's yeah. not fulfilling the dream. Right. So we need to reconceptualize the dream. We need to reconceptualize what education means. Mm -hmm. And we need to recognize this about children, that it's not about right and wrong. A lot of times when a child does something wrong, even if it's the ultimate trespass, yeah. like committing a homicide, well, he knew right from wrong, so he should be punished or treated as an adult. But with a child, the child might know right and wrong, but that's not the issue. The issue is, can the child stop themselves? Can they put the brakes on themselves? A child doesn't have the capacity. Wow. Because the very instrument that is the braking system mm -hmm. is not fully developed, the prefrontal lobe. The emotional centers of the brain develop faster, the impulsive centers of the brain develop faster and controls the child more. They don't have the capacity to put the brakes on themselves. Which is why a 19-year-old girl who is a college student and she knows that her father always told her about getting in the car with somebody that drinks. 
Yet still he talks in to get in the car. When it was in the Philadelphia Inquirer, she got in the car, and in the car crashed, she died. He lived. And the father's like, well, she knew better. She knew right from wrong. But that wasn't the issue. Mm-hmm. And this was known since 2,500 years ago with Aristotle when he wrote about the nature of adolescence in his treatise on rhetoric when he said, in terms of their character, the young are prone to desires and inclined to do whatever they desire. They are impulsive and quick-tempered and inclined to follow up their anger with action. And they are unable to resist their impulses, for through love of honor they cannot put up with being belittled, but become indignant if they think they have done a wrong. And though they love honor, they love victory more, for youth longs for superiority and victory is a kind of superiority. And they are filled with good hopes, for like those drinking wine, the young are heated by their nature, and at the same time they are filled with good hopes because of not yet having experienced much failure. And it goes on and on, but the whole idea of not being able to resist and stop themselves, that's the issue. So when we speak to children, I, I see you, when we speak to children, I would say to myself is, not that you know right from wrong, yeah. but I would speak to their strength. You have to tap into the strength. You have the strength to stop yourself. Mm-hmm. So when somebody tells you to do something, you can, you have the strength. I, I'm confident that you got the I know you got the strength, right. man, and they would think about it. Well, that's a nail on the head right there about the, the piece of rethinking education as in 2,500 years have we ever really focused on teaching impulse control because that kind of ties in a common theme with everyone. You may have known right and wrong, but in that moment you wanted what you wanted more in that right there. So maybe a big, huge part of what the re-education needs to be is learning how to deal with that impulse because it absolutely can be changed. We know now from neuroimaging, brains can change, they can learn that control, but it takes a training. It takes an effort and a training. Well, just to jump right, follow up on what you're saying. For me personally, my personal experience was not so much of the, the, the fit the things, it was more of the acceptance of the people that was in their kind of lifestyle. Mm. Those acceptance of those people that was in the lifestyle meant more to me than just the things. Things didn't mean as much. Mm. But we during during my during our, during my growth in this you know in this institution here, particularly, I've been in a couple of different ones in the state. But this one here, being around the men that we that we gathered in this room with today, I learned a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, I was proud. And I still was thinking on the lines of that the, the same thoughts that I had when I got incarcerated. Mm-hmm. They were still yeah. alive. Yeah. You know what I mean? But being around these kind of guys and, and men, not just guys, men, real men, guys that I've heard about, I've seen, you know, I've, I've, read, I've read an article or something, and I had a, a great deal of respect for some of them, just from their names, from being a, an individual that I call myself uh, street boy, you know, that's something that was something to look up to. Mm-hmm. And to see these guys, it was real guys that came from the streets that created these names and personas that was like bigger than the stars that I knew. I've never met a star, you know what I mean? But the ones that I've met, all the guys from the street. But to sit here and understand and listen to their stories and listen to the regrets that they had mm-hmm. make you rethink your whole situation. Like, what the, what the hell was I doing? <laughs> you know, these are guys that, that they, they, and, and with that, I found my way, you know, and, and, and I think that's what all of us done with these, with us being incarcerated. We found our way. Mm. We found our way to just to talk to ourselves. Yep. Right? Yep. And one of my, my ways, one thing that I like to focus on and uh, is that there's a couple avenues and one of the avenues that we're talking about today is prevention. Yep. I know that, that there's guys that's better than me at prevention. So I can step back from the prevention part. But the intervention, <laughs> when I can step in, the guy in like his life, that he's already in it, and I can show him mm-hmm. all of the things, this is what you're about to do. <laughs> you're about to F your whole life up. And here's how you're going to F it up. You're going to do this, because this decision leads to this, and this, 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 that, and third. Guys that come from the street have an understanding, and, 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 and they talk about it throughout the country, throughout the world, that there's an unwritten code that's in the streets. And a lot of people say that that doesn't exist. 
But I'm here to tell you that thing do exist. Mm -hmm. And these codes, codes and principles, they were in, in place for years, right? And mm. we'll, I'll show you the growth of that. When those codes and principles was in, were, were in place, there was still problems in our communities. But our prisons were, in, in Pennsylvania, we had, what, seven prisons in, in, in the 70s, right? Eight prisons in the 70s. Today in the 2000s, we have 20 some odd prisons. Yeah. Now, here, and what happened was, again, these, all these things add up. The epidemic of crack, cocaine came. It changed the whole picture of how we dealt with each other in the streets. It changed the picture of how um, mm -hmm. the government dealt with us that was in that lifestyle. So now those two factors is, 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 is created a void, a void of education. Because there's two kinds of education. There's the education that we get from the traditional uh, schools of learning, and then there's, there's the, for guys that were like me, that was in the streets and in it, there was the education system. Yeah. And who, who, were the who were the teachers? It was the older guys that was the teachers of these, edu these schools, yeah. these schools of learning. The, with the, with the uh, harsher penalties and everything like that, they took all of those teachers out and left everybody in the field for themselves. The learning as they go along. Now, when they've done that, we have a bigger problem than what right, we had right. in the beginning. Right, right, right. So we have to go back, the guys that have credibility, mm -hmm. and uh, these names, these uh, larger life personas that was built in the streets, we have to go back. Yeah. And we have to put ourselves back in, in, into the streets mm -hmm. and back into these guys' lives that didn't have these, they don't have fathers, they don't have uh, old heads, yep. which was important. Yep. They don't have any real role models. Yeah. But they still look up to us mm -hmm. because they still hold on to the things that we've done. Yeah. So we have to go back into, this, into these areas, whether it be by phones, visits, uh, whatever means that we can, right? The letters, we got to be present in this thing and we ought to be able to make a turn by really showing them this is what you're doing wrong. Mm -hmm. You're fluffing it up. Right. You're fluffing it up. <laughs> you know what I mean? We gotta talk the language. You gotta talk the language. I can send you and you know what they're gonna say? They're yeah. gonna say, well Ray's a football player. They don't know what the mm -hmm. have he talking about. He ain't from the streets. Right. This is what they'll tell themselves. Yeah. You know, without even knowing your background. Yeah. Without knowing where you came up from. Mm -hmm. But if we can go in there and we can talk the language, and that's what we've been doing yeah. in these institutions, in this institution in particular. Yeah. And we have, again, like, like Sam said, he, you know, it's lost his son. These guys were trying, but they wanted to do something. But the kind of man that he is today, he stood on something bigger than yep. they, they can even imagine. And he said, no, I don't want none of that. I yeah. don't want that to happen. Yeah. Mm. And this is what we got we to gotta continue to do this kind of work. Yep. So that we can reach these guys because you never know who we can. Yeah. Come well, right first, back. Go here. Go first ahead. of all, Go. we, we got to. Okay. I, I really appreciate everybody wants to jump in, but we we've been at this for like an hour and fifteen minutes. We got things like count okay. and, yeah. and those yeah. kinds yeah. of things yeah. that are unusual yeah. for podcasts. Yeah. Very yeah. usual for prisons. Yeah. <laughs> um, but but I just I, I really just want to thank you all for uh, for joining and taking this opportunity. You know, uh, our mission, as I said, is, is really to try to try to change the trajectory of. of children who, who need guidance. And, and when you talk about kids just need, especially young boys needing the positive uh, male role models and, and just a voice and a voice that comes that they can relate to. And, and I appreciate uh, you guys sharing today. Ray, I don't know what you have to say to wrap up here. Yeah. God is so unique that to ever touch a certain level of greatness, your comfort zone must be to stay. Because the ultimate, the ultimate goal in life is to hear one phrase, well done, my good and faithful servant. Every sin is counted the same. There's no bigger sin. And what I'm seeing in these kids, and everything that you guys said here, the father 
the fathers to put God back on the throne. Because when he's back on the throne, order is restored. And that's why we all can share the same stories about what we liked, what we didn't know then, or what we know now. But if we ever go back to the beginning of what we all understood, which was God as Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, and it's his decision, what we ultimately do with our lives. We control our own destiny. My thing of wisdom for each man that's sitting in this room is, God ain't done with you yet. He's just getting started. Because now he can use your testimony. Now is when the real challenge begins. To be a light in the midst of darkness. If I had to do everything all over again, I wouldn't change nothing I've been through because of the man I stand here today. But the man that I'm surrounded around right now, if I can ask God to sit here and get this education, I'd do it all over again. So every man that's sitting in this room, God has something special and personal that he wants to say to each and every one of you guys. But my only message to us as fathers, as brothers, as uncles, is to rededicate our passions to putting God back on the throne. I'm not big into politics. I'm not big in religion. But I know God is real. I know every day I get up and read a Proverbs in the morning. And I read the Psalms at night. I know I got another chance to make it right. No matter where I am. That's why coming here today was for you to empower the community. But I think what God sent me here to empower you is he's just about to start what he's about to begin in each and every one of you guys' lives. I lived it. I listened. And what I'm hearing today, if you go back and read Sodom and Gomorrah, go back and read Revelation. Go back and read the life of David. Actually, go back and read the life of Job. Job from 50 to 80. I want you to tell me the difference of them and the difference of us. The only difference is, is they bought in that God was in full control of it, no matter what the circumstances was. That's the difference. Because most of them been to the lows of all lows, to where everything was taken away from them. But they stayed faithful to it. So my challenge to every one of you brothers, man, is to stay faithful to what you're already living. I just want to take this good news and take it to these 10 year olds that I'm about to go talk to. Say, let me let y'all hear something real. Since you think you got it figured out, let me show you what somebody your age just said they would do differently. This ain't my last time here. Because I I learned everything today. I learned how to control myself even in my situation from from listening to that story right there. Yeah. So man, Secretary, like, I don't know if you guys understand why God is calling the real men to the forefront now. Because it ain't about race anymore. It's about good versus evil. We're in the, we're in the greatest spiritual warfare we'll ever be in in our lives right now. And it's going to take a bunch of bold men to stand up in this fight. This fight ain't for the perfect. <laughs> this fight for the people that done been through something. And who can tell the different story on the other side of this, of this wall, man. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Please. Just want to let you know. Yeah. You want better than I line back, okay? <laughs> <laughs>
He looked like a strong dude, boy. I just got to thank our secretary, our deputy secretary, and our superintendent, and our staff members here because the work that we are to touch other lives. Yes, sir. They allowed us their space mm -hmm. to right. do that here. Mm -hmm. And without them allowing us their space, then we would not be able to have impact and change yes, sir. those youths that we're talking about. Yes, sir. So we want to thank hey. them. And I just want to say, uh, I just want to say at the beginning, I talked about like that ripple effect. And I really want you to understand that your voice will be heard like this podcast that we do is heard all over the world. And uh, and it's it's just was a blessing and an honor for me to be able to sit here with you and for us to be able to sit here with you. I genuinely appreciate everything that you taught. Um, I think the message you said so clearly, which is is not complicated, but we have to do it. We have to do it. And so there's a lot of just absolute goal of wisdom from this that we'll take and we'll just keep building on. How can I like put our family members to tune in or whatever? We'll, we'll, we'll work that out. Yeah. 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 Tackling life. Tackling life. <laughs> That's what it is. Man. We gotta go in life. Up next, hear Secretary Wetzel, Ray, and me react live as we debrief after the group session at Greaterford Maximum Security Prison right after this. Ray and I are here with Secretary Wetzel. We just had this tremendously powerful experience. What stands out to you guys? I think their hearts, man. You know, when you listen to those men talk, those men, they were great men when they made the mistakes. They just had no leadership. Mm. Every one of them spoke about the lack of, but more importantly, the influence that they actually seen. Yeah. And, you know, when you think about what these kids are living now and what they're seeing now, they're seeing uncle, they're seeing brother, they're seeing father. So they think it's normal to follow that path. But if you get to the end of the road where they at and you listen to the message that they're saying, yeah, that they would have done differently, they would have chased education. Right. <laughs> right. They would have told drugs, wait a minute, yeah. forget the shiny things. <laughs> Right. Let me just stay focused, you know, and, and because now even even the ones that has kids, man, you know, you listen to these fathers and you ask yourself if you're in here, then now your kids are raising themselves. Again. Right. So we back to that thing again. So right. I'm just I'm which just, is why yeah. it was so impressive when that one guy talked about don't go out. And uh, I told them, don't go get the guy who killed his son. Oh, that was amazing. That was blown, amazing. Blown I tell you, the thing you got to know about this group, there's 15 people in here. Three of them were juvenile lifers, right? So okay. they have a chance of getting out. The other 12 are going to die in here. Right. And that's just the reality. And that's, right. I mean, you heard them uh, when I said life in prison. They said death by incarceration. Right. Yeah. And um, in spite of that, first of all, you didn't hear them, like, blaming somebody else. Mm -hmm. They right. talked about real causes, but they owned it. Right. They owned that yeah. they screw up the community. They owned that, that mm -hmm. the fact that so many uh, fathers, especially in, in the poorest communities, are locked up and the impact that's having on this generation. Yeah. Yep. Um, you know, it's just it's just really fascinating to me that that here they have nothing to gain by this. Right. Except um, to give and they want to give lessons to, to kids and, and to, for, for you two to come in here. I mean, it's just so good. I mean, um, what the listeners probably don't know is we, we toured the prison first and, yeah. and not tour prison like with a bunch of guards around us. Right. Tour prison like, um, first time I ever walked to a prison. I'm telling you, man, and that much freedom to where people respected each other. You know, people show prisons and they always show them this ugliness of prisons. Right. And, it, and it's everywhere. Right. But to have that much control for each other. Right. The respect for each other. I mean, it, it just blew my mind. It made me, um, I, my, my, I was so happy. It was just kind of joyful to watch their faces light up as you just came up hugging, you know, giving high five, yeah. hugging people, talking to people like that made their lives. But look, the, the reality is you, you can have an impact no matter where you are and, and, just because you're incarcerated, or no matter what you do, you maintain your humanity. Yes. Right. Man's capacity to change. And, and when folks come through here, and we love having visitors here, because it sends a message that no matter what you did, you yeah. still count. You're not, you're not uh, faceless, yep. Uh, yep. inhumane. And, and some people are going to die here, and for what they did, some of them probably should. 
Yeah. Right. You know, and yeah. that's just the reality right. Of, right. of where we're at. But that doesn't mean that they can't live while they're here. Exactly. Absolutely. Exactly. And I, the one uh, gentleman talked about how, as, a, as he said, we, what do we have left except we realized as men we needed to make a change. We needed to be cha changed as adults for us, as human beings. And I think that's a really huge part. It's what you do, Secretary Wetzel, as bringing into the whole Pennsylvania DOC, saying we really need to look at each, value every life. We need to value every person's life. They need to model, they need to model most prisons like this. Yeah. Like, you know, regardless, because the bottom line at the end of the day, they're still human. Right. They're freaking human beings, you know. And if you give them a chance with a clean slate, to just think differently, that's what that's the product you get. Exactly. You know, let's educate them let's, first. Let's educate right? them first, right? I mean, let's, and, and that's, a, I think, really the opportunity to take this message yeah. and using your, your two collective voices, you know, tens of thousands of people are going to hear this. Yeah. yeah. And, but, but to take it to like the community center. Really take it there. Yes. And take it there. Talk, I'm talking about, I'm talking about go there. Yes. Because the, that platform right there ain't nobody leaving that. They ain't nobody leaving the, t the television, the radio, whatever that you listening to. Ain't oh, nobody yeah. leaving that. You know right, what I'm saying? right. And I'm talking about oh, taking man. what they said, like a baton, and just taking and it and just it. passing. That's what I'm going to do. Yeah. But also getting yeah. people to you got people in the community need to stop blaming everybody else and invest in children's lives. And it yeah. doesn't mean financial investment. No, right. It, I mean the, the the notion of just we, you know we're hesitant as uh, Americans as men to say yeah I love you to a little kid. Right. right. You know you heard the, the one guy say I didn't love myself and right, I was looking right. for for love in all the wrong places. Yeah, he didn't yeah. say it like that, <laughs> yeah, but, right, right. but you know, crack and yes. the, the, the gang life and yeah. the passing things and, and yep. bling and all that stuff. And, and it, it, some kids just need love That's and it. affirmation. Yeah. And when they screw up to say it's okay, right. you know yeah. what I mean? Right. You have a margin of error. When we grew up, we had a margin of error. Yeah. I had a margin of error. Right. I, I, I would not be running a prison system. I had right. a margin of error. Right. Right. No, I think that, but to hear them, especially tough men, and standing next to you two tough men, and we were all saying the same message, when you're strong enough, when you're secure enough, it's about compassion and love, and being strong enough to give love to people, and being strong enough and man enough, and secure enough to yeah. say, that's what really, that's what people need. That's love, love and compassion. I love Well, you. thanks for coming. Thank, thank you, We'll do it again, right? All right. We thank got 25 prisons. <laughs> we got to keep rolling. <laughs> yeah, we're going to keep rolling. Thank you for downloading the Tackling Life podcast today. If you were as moved as we were by the remarkable stories on today's episode, please share it with a friend. And for more of our visit to Greaterford Maximum Security Prison, go to tacklinglifepodcast.com. For the legend Ray Lewis and for Secretary John Wetzel, I'm Dr. Christian Conti. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. <laughs>